This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. The Gone Cold Podcast may contain violent or graphic subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. This is part two of When the Devil Came to Gilmer, The Disappearance of Kelly Day Wilson. If you haven't listened to part one, it would probably be a good idea to do that before going any further here. Here's a short rundown of what we've gone over. After she and her manager at Northeast Texas Video closed up shop at around 8.30 p.m. on Sunday, January 5, 1992, 17-year-old Kelly Day Wilson vanished. Though the keys were gone, police found Kelly's 1985 Gold Dodge Charger parked in one of the spots on the side of the VHS rental store, her purse and some other belongings inside the unlocked vehicle. At first, investigating Gilmer, Texas Police Sergeant James York Brown was sure Kelly just took off because he'd gotten information that she often spoke of being conflicted about which of her parents to live with, her mom in Gilmer or her dad in Natchitoches, Louisiana. But when Kelly's father, Robbie Wilson, came to Gilmer to look for his daughter upon hearing of her disappearance, Sergeant Brown changed his theory fast. Neither Robbie Wilson nor Kathy Carlson, Kelly's mother, believed the teenager would have up and taken off. It didn't fit her personality at all, and she was close to going off to college anyway. The runaway theory might have made sense when she was younger, but not with only one semester of high school left. Sergeant Brown obtained surveillance footage from the Gilmer National Bank, less than a block from her job at Northeast Texas Video. In the footage, Kelly's car can be seen dropping off the day's deposit at 8.31 p.m. The driver was presumed to be Kelly, but the video was of such poor quality that identifying the driver of the vehicle was impossible. Some who viewed the footage believed that someone was in the passenger seat, but again, it was impossible to say for sure. The rear passenger side tire on Kelly's car was flat and off the wheel leading Sergeant Brown to believe she made the deposit, realized the severity of the flat tire, and parked back at Northeast Texas Video before seeking assistance or a ride. Whatever the case, Kelly was gone, and there seemed to be absolutely no trace of her. Within days, the FBI, the Texas Department of Public Safety, and the Upshur County Sheriff's Department were assisting the Gilmer police with the investigation. That's an important detail that we'll revisit later. After a month had passed with absolutely no sign of the missing teenager, 
or even clues to what might have happened to her. A large-scale search around the area known as Cherokee Trace was conducted by men on foot, horseback, and ATVs, but still nothing. Even before Kelly went missing, events had been unfolding in Gilmer, Texas. Events that slowly festered into a paranoid hysteria fueled by tabloid media and fear-mongering politicians, evangelists, and some law enforcement agencies and officials. When one such official became hellbent on a witch hunt in Gilmer, satanic panic enveloped the town, and as a result, lives were destroyed, and the case of the disappearance of Kelly Day Wilson was damaged, perhaps irreparably. There was no shortage of suspects concerning Kelly Day Wilson's disappearance in the initial investigation. However, her case was relatively unknown on a national level until a year later when an ongoing child abuse case that began years earlier rocked the entire town of Gilmer and escalated into a scandal fueled by rumor and a hysteria that had been sweeping the nation for quite some time before. Satanic panic. What happened here completely overshadowed Kelly's disappearance and severely hindered the progress of the investigation into it. And warning, the following is a confusing and convoluted story. It all began in Gilmer when Texas State Child Protective Services caseworker Ann Gore began investigating accusations of child molestation against a man named Wendell Kerr. The Kerrs, according to a Baptist minister and Sulphur, Louisiana police chaplain, were more or less the town undesirables, the type of folks who, it seems, inevitably end up the subject of rampant small-town gossip and rumor. The Kerrs lived in makeshift shack-type homes and old ramshackle trailers. They only worked, this police chaplain said, the occasional odd job and subsisted mainly on state assistance. In late 1990, Wendell Kerr was implicated in the sexual molestation and assault of two out of four of he and Loretta Kerr's children. Just before Wendell Kerr was indicted on two counts of indecency with a child in May of 1991, another Gilmer man, Lucas Gear was arrested and charged with molesting one of his sister's boys in April of 1991. The investigation into the accusations against Lucas Gear uncovered that his sister, Wanda Gear Hicks, who'd been living with Wendell Kerr since he and Loretta Kerr separated, had also been molesting her children. The state of Texas took custody of both the Kerr children and Wanda Gear Hicks's children and placed them in foster care. The Hicks children were eventually sent to live with foster parents James and Marie LePay in Colorado City, Texas, about 375 miles west of Gilmer. Lucas Gear pleaded guilty to the charges against him and was sentenced to 10 years probation. 
In the fall of 1991, while in a foster home, Wanda Gear Hicks's children, ranging from two to seven years old, told their foster mother that Wendell Kerr often threatened them with things like leaving them in the woods where the devil would get them. This was indeed troubling and abusive, but it didn't even come close to the claims that later emerged. That December, Wendell Kerr's charges had gone from two counts of indecency with a child to aggravated sexual assault, sexual assault, and indecency with a child. The next month, on January 5, 1992, Kelly Day Wilson disappeared after leaving her job at Northeast Texas Video in Gilmerstown Square, and at that same time, a story of satanic rituals and murder was being woven into the fabric of Gilmer, Texas history. While in foster care, one of the Hicks boys said he and the other children collected both human and animal bones. This was told to Child Protective Services caseworker Ann Gore that month, though it appears Gore did not ask the Gilmer police, the Upshur County Sheriff's Office, or any other law enforcement agency to search for these bones at that time. The following month, in February 1992, while an Upshur County Sheriff's deputy was visiting the Kerr children, at least two of them spoke of being victimized by their mother, Loretta Kerr, their father's parents, Eugene and Geneva Kerr, Lucas Gear, and neighbors Roger Holman and his common-law wife, Tammy Smith. The abuse consisted of molestation, sodomy, and forced sexual acts with each other while those acts were being videotaped. Not long after, the five children of Wendell Kerr's brother, Danny Kerr, were placed into state care after allegations of sexual abuse and neglect surfaced. In June of 1992, two of Wanda Hicks's boys told their foster mother, Marie LePay, that they'd been forced to kill and dismember infants in the first clear-cut allegation of satanic worship and ritual. The story blew up big in Gilmer, and Wendell Kerr pleaded out on an indecency with a child count shortly thereafter. He was given ten years probation. Wanda Gear Hicks, too, all but immediately signed away rights to her children, and the couple who'd been fostering them began the necessary steps to adopt. The devil, however wasn't done in Gilmer. In fact, the real devil hadn't even gotten there yet. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Not long after two of the children of Wendell and Loretta Kerr told their foster parents about being coerced into killing and dismembering babies, Child Protective Services caseworker Anna Gore sought help in her investigation, which now included at least seven people who'd been implicated in participating in the children's sexual abuse and the satanic rituals. Investigator Stephen Baggs of the Texas Department of Public Safety was a narcotics agent and, according to him, an expert on ritual abuse and the occult. During the late summer of 1992, Baggs and Gore began extensively interviewing both the Kerr children and the Hicks children. They conducted many interviews that were imaginably terrible as the children recalled past neglect and sexual abuse. But Gore and Bags weren't getting the kind of material they really wanted, which was the satanic boogeyman stuff. Eventually, though, the investigators heard what they wanted to hear when two of the Kerr children seemingly backed up the stories of the Hicks children. When they spoke of a dungeon in the woods behind their grandparents Eugene and Geneva Kerr's home, Men dressed as devils and a cauldron of blood. Searches were soon underway at that property after the allegations the children had made about videotapes of ritual sexual abuse and buried bodies in the woods, but law enforcement found nothing. Meanwhile, Wanda Gear Hicks's brother, Lucas, broke the probation the judge had so leniently handed down for his sexual abuse of his sister's boys when he was indicted for the abuse of another child in an unrelated case. While in a Huntsville, Texas prison, just after he arrived, in fact, Lucas Gear confirmed the large-scale sexual abuse and mentioned the sacrifice of infants according to investigators. On Monday, May 24, 1993, seemingly every cur in town was indicted for the sexual abuse of children. Wendell, Loretta, Danny, Eugene, Geneva, and the latest cur, Wanda Gear Kerr, who will stick to calling Wanda Gear Hicks for clarity's sake. Loretta Kerr's boyfriend, Orville Lee Flowers, too, was indicted, as were neighbors Roger Holman and Tammy Smith, and the mother of Danny Kerr's children, Connie Martin. After another search of the Kerr home, the sexual abuse allegations were apparently backed up on videotapes discovered that had somehow been missed on previous searches, but there was no sign of cauldrons, devil costumes, blood, or the bones of infants. At this point, there had been absolutely no mention by anyone of the disappearance of Kelly Day Wilson, and no mention of involvement in this manufactured satanic cult of a certain Gilmer police sergeant. But there soon would be. While in foster care and after denying his parents and neighbors had sexually abused him in several interviews, 
the son of Roger Holman and Tammy Smith, told investigators something huge on Monday, June 28, 1993. More than a month after the grand jury indicted 10 people for being involved in the ritualistic sexual abuse of children, including his parents, he said the Kerrs had kidnapped Kelly Day Wilson in a green van, held her for 10 days in a shack behind their home, where they continually raped her before stabbing her to death. Though it appears as if only one of the investigating attorneys heard the boys say this at the time, joining the Kerrs in their depraved acts was a man in a blue uniform. Upshur County District Attorney Tim Cohn couldn't be involved with this case, he said, because when he was in private practice, he'd represented members of the Kerr family on other unrelated matters. But investigator Stephen Baggs and CPS worker Ann Gore soon found their man in Galveston attorney Scott Lyford, who'd come into this case specifically in October 1993, acting as a special prosecuting attorney for Upshur County. Lyford had a long career at this point, starting out in law as a private practitioner in 1975 before going on to serve as assistant district attorney in Travis County, then as an assistant attorney general for the state of Texas. Shortly after Lyford's appointment, another terrible and tragic bombshell dropped. Now, this is a little confusing, but apparently the folks in Colorado City who'd been entrusted with the foster care of Wanda Gear Hicks's children also had Danny Kerr's kids. That's ten kids. On Sunday, November 7th, 1993, one of Danny Kerr and Connie Martin's boys suffered a head injury so severe that he went comatose. According to the other children, James LePay, the foster father, had repeatedly, quote, slammed the boy's head against the hardwood floor until his head was mushy, end quote. The following day, LePay committed suicide by gunshot, and two days after that, his wife and the children's foster mother, Marie LePay, died by an intentional overdose of pills. Authorities said the evidence on the scene backed up the children's story about what had happened. The boy's foster dad had crushed his skull in. These kids were taken away from a situation where they experienced neglect and sexual assault and placed in an environment where they were obviously subject to physical abuse. And much of that abuse, as we'll find out later, was done to get them talking about the devil. This is by far one of the biggest and most tragic events caused by satanic panic here in Texas. This tragedy, among the already apparent coercive interview techniques of the investigators, called into question the validity of the claims of satanic ritual back in Gilmer. Though special prosecuting attorney Scott Lyford didn't seem to think so. The Child Protective Services caseworker Anna Gore rightfully came under heavy scrutiny for her decision to place ten children with the Lapays. But in Gilmer, the sensationalism of the baby-killing satanic cult ultimately won the attention of the town, especially after Lyford figured out how to turn up the volume a bit. Special Prosecutor Scott Lyford approached the Gilmer police 
namely Chief Al McAllister and Sergeant James York Brown. Since one of the victims of this overwhelming child sexual abuse case had implicated some of the actors as responsible for the disappearance of Kelly Day Wilson, Lyford told McAllister and Brown he intended to investigate her case. Likely, they were happy to have the help. They'd already asked in other agencies, including the FBI, and seemed to welcome any and all aid. By December of 1993, Lyford was under intense pressure to justify the incredible amount of Upshur County's money that he was spending, including the $45 an hour he was paying his top investigator, the so-called occult specialist, Stephen Baggs, and the $90 an hour Lyford himself was being paid. And that's not to mention the nearly $50,000 in various other charges Lyford had run up in his investigation since he came on. But there was no evidence to back up what the boy had told investigators about Kelly's disappearance. At this point, it was just his story. But after a series of interviews with Wanda Gear Hicks, extensive and repetitive interviews, and, it seems, some wheeling and dealing, Miraculously, Lyford had another witness. She relayed to Lyford basically the same story the boy told. Lyford had Wanda and Connie Martin transferred to the Harrison County Jail, about 38 miles east in Marshall, where, miraculously again, Connie came up with the same basic story about Kelly's abduction, captivity, repeated rape, and murder just days later. All the stories apparently did differ in ways that were hard to reconcile, but at this point, it didn't matter. Still, too, was the matter of the man in the blue uniform participating in the assaults and slaying. Sergeant James York Brown, who had worked Kelly Day Wilson's case diligently and tirelessly, hadn't stopped doing so while the child sexual abuse case against the Kerrs and company was being pursued. In fact, upon hearing that the Kerrs had been implicated in the disappearance, Sergeant Brown figured he'd better investigate that angle. He visited Lucas Gear in a Huntsville prison to try to gather more information. But Gear told Brown that the satanic cult activity was bullshit. They wouldn't leave him alone and their interrogations were intense. So Gear, he said, finally just told them what they wanted to hear so they'd leave him alone. Gear figured, he said, he didn't have anything to lose in doing so. Upon hearing he was now under investigation for the abduction, captivity, rape, and murder of Kelly Day Wilson, Wendell Kerr requested that the trucking company he worked for as a driver send Sergeant James York Brown his work logs. Sergeant Brown received the records and discovered that Kerr had been on the road during Kelly's disappearance and during the entirety of the ten days she was supposedly held, repeatedly sexually assaulted, and slain. According to the logs, Wendell Kerr wasn't even in Texas at the time. Rather, he was in the eastern United States. The Gilmer policeman brought what he'd found to Special Prosecutor Lyford, who didn't take kindly to Sergeant Brown poking around the Kelly Day Wilson case. Lyford's lack of acceptance of the evidence confused Sergeant Brown, who returned to the station and approached his chief, Al McAllister. 
Sergeant Brown told Chief McAllister that the special prosecuting attorney threatened to ruin him personally, financially, and professionally if he didn't stay out of Kelly's case. Brown, Chief McAllister said, was visibly upset by the threats. McAllister had no reason not to believe the 14-year veteran of the police department. Sergeant Brown, the chief said, was dedicated and often worked past his shift's end and always conducted his police work ethically. Anyway, Lyford himself admittedly told Sergeant Brown to stay out of his way on the Kelly Day Wilson investigation since it was now connected to his investigation into the satanic Kerr cult. Also admitting that he told Brown if he did interfere, it would, quote, be a problem for him, end quote. Lyford was not lying. The town of Gilmer, Texas, and Upshur County were ready for results in Special Prosecutor Scott Lyford's investigation into the murderous, baby-dismembering, satanic cult. But Sergeant Brown was throwing a wrench in the whole damn thing. Brown had been investigating Kelly Day Wilson's disappearance since the beginning, and had even proven that aspects of Lyford's case against the Kerrs for their involvement in that disappearance were simply not true. But Lyford wasn't giving in that easily, and he'd mow down whatever was in his way. To the special prosecutor, apparently, evidence could be gotten around, possibly manufactured. The day after Sergeant Brown came to him with proof that Wendell Kerr couldn't have abducted Kelly Day Wilson, Lyford traveled to Arkansas to see the originals of Kerr's trucking logs for himself. He came back claiming that upon conducting further research, those records are incorrect, though he failed to specify just why that was. But that was the least of what Lyford had brewing. About three weeks after Special Prosecutor Scott Lyford told Gilmer Police Sergeant James York Brown to stay out of his way or he'd ruin him, Connie Martin, one of those indicted on the child sexual assault case concerning the Kerr clan, gave up the identity of the elusive man in the blue uniform. Although notes taken by a mental health professional detailed that Connie Martin had a lot of trouble telling the truth, she'd been caught in four blatant known lies during a session with this professional. Scott Lyford took her at her word that Sergeant James York Brown had taken part in the sexual assault and slaying portion of Kelly Day Wilson. Perhaps Lyford helped Martin with her memories her ability to finally come forward with that information, since Sergeant Brown had never been implicated prior to this convenient time. The policeman was taken into custody while he was attending a training class at Texas A&M University, a move which was likely purposeful on the part of Scott Lyford, done that way for maximum embarrassment. Sergeant James York Brown was indicted on Friday, January 21, 1994, for the alleged crimes against Kelly, along with seven other Kerr family members and others connected with the supposed satanic cult. Scott Lyford even used Sergeant Brown's diligence and determination as he investigated Kelly Day Wilson's disappearance against him, suggesting he worked a little too hard. 
When Connie Martin heard of Brown's indictment, she told Lyford she'd be glad to give him five more names. Connie Martin also told investigators working for the attorney that they'd find the bones of four or five people on property where she once lived near Simpsonville, a small, unincorporated area of Upshur County. When a search was performed on January 10, 1994, a small bone fragment was found. It was thought immediately to be human, but it could not be determined if it were male or female. Later, a lab gave the bone even odds at belonging to a human and said it was likely near 150 years old. So, it was reported not to belong to Kelly Day Wilson. Stephen Baggs, the investigator ridiculously known as an occult specialist, was again granted and executed a search warrant on the Kerr property on January 25, 1994. He confiscated and placed into evidence the shed where Kelly Day Wilson had supposedly been held for 10 days. Bags placed other items, too, into evidence. A shovel, tie-down straps, described as rubber, a cat nine tails which is a multi-tailed whip, this one said to have metal tips. Also confiscated was a pickup truck bed toolbox, alleged to have been used to transport Kelly. Lyford was desperate but confident. He claimed to have the backing of then-Attorney General Dan Morales. But in the long run, as we'll see later, even Attorney General Morales had his doubts about Lyford's investigation. Before a judge had the chance to issue a gag order on discussing anything related to the Kelly Day Wilson case, which he did on February 18, 1994, Problems with the special prosecutor's case had been discussed with members of the press in depth by psychologists, attorneys, and police officials. Searches of the accused properties had resulted in no proof that Kelly had ever been there. The confiscated shed and truck bed toolbox hadn't produced any evidence. If the story about what happened to Kelly was true, surely there'd have been evidence left behind. The same went for evidence of satanic rituals having taken place. There was absolutely none. No devil costumes, no cauldrons, and no baby bones. Many doubted the Kerrs, particularly, had the intellectual capacity of pulling off so many depraved acts of ritual killing, many of which would have had to have been methodically planned and executed to have left no clues behind. And another big hole, who were these sacrificed babies, and where were their bodies? Special Prosecutor Scott Lyford, though, used the same old bullshit line that many satanic panic propagandists in law enforcement so often did, that no evidence left behind is actually evidence in and of itself. If you stop and think about it, that's not hard to explain, Lyford said. It wouldn't take much to figure out how to keep from being detected if you really didn't want to be detected. The problem is you never find any physical evidence other than just the vaguest kind of stuff. Though some in Lyford's sights were no doubt not good people, that whole quote seems to be some sort of self-justification for the totally innocent lives of some of those he was in the process of ruining, including the man he'd promised to. Before Lyford threatened to ruin Sergeant Brown, if you'll remember, 
Wendell Kerr had presented Brown with surefire proof that he wasn't even in Texas those ten days. Though Lyford tried to prove otherwise, he couldn't. They are trying to make the facts fit their theory, Gilmer Police Chief Al McAllister said, and when it doesn't work, they look for more facts. It would be laughable except for what is happening to Sergeant Brown. Now, the stories about Sergeant Brown's involvement did not include his involvement in the abduction, only that he participated in her sexual assault multiple times during her supposed 10-day captivity and her murder. But even the Federal Bureau of Investigations doubted Sergeant Brown's involvement in any way. The Gilmer policeman himself had requested the FBI's help just two days after Kelly went missing, and they investigated thoroughly. The agents who worked alongside Sergeant Brown for the entirety of the time Kelly would have been imprisoned, and then some, if that story were true, said there was nothing at all to suggest Brown had done anything. Not even his demeanor and behavior were suspicious, they said. At least one agent in the FBI's Tyler, Texas office called the Gilmer Satanic Cult investigation a mess. That office offered up any and all records they had that would help in Sergeant Brown's defense. The Texas Department of Public Safety and the Upshur County Sheriff's Department, too, had been involved in the investigation of Kelly's disappearance. None of them found any evidence against Brown. When Special Prosecutor Scott Lyford approached Kelly's father and told him he was proud to have solved his daughter's case, it was likely difficult for Robbie Wilson to hide his contemptuous incredulity. The father was beyond frustrated about the absurd investigation of the non-existent satanic cult and the two years the witch hunt had taken away from focus on his daughter's case. Robbie Wilson was downright angry about it and rightfully so. The witness, Connie Martin, who'd changed her story several times, apparently, hadn't even described Kelly's clothing correctly. In fact, she'd gotten it all completely wrong. Robbie Wilson staunchly defended Sergeant Brown and his investigative efforts. Brown had once called him up on Thanksgiving Day in 1992, telling the father about a tip he'd received and Wilson and Brown spent the better part of the holiday searching a wooded area for signs of the missing teenager. Sergeant Brown, Robbie Wilson made clear, genuinely cared, and was unmistakably empathetic to the father's situation. Not long after the indictments for the abduction, imprisonment, rape, and murder of Kelly Day Wilson were handed down, Officials in Upshur County and the small town of Gilmer decided the witch hunt had gone on long enough. They contacted the Texas Attorney General's office and begged for intervention. They sent out Chief Special Prosecutor Shane Phelps, who echoed what the locals had been saying. Scott Lyford's investigation was making Upshur County and Gilmer a laughingstock. Phelps found absolutely no evidence of satanic cults or rituals, and beyond that, there was no evidence that connected Sergeant Brown to the other alleged members, and in fact, Lyford had ignored evidence that exonerated him and some of the others. 
In March of 1994, the Texas State Attorney General's Office not only dropped 45 of the 48 child abuse charges and all the sexual assault, kidnapping, and murder charges pertaining to Kelly Day Wilson, but Child Protective Services also reassigned caseworkers Ann Gore and Debbie Minshew to other duties pending an investigation into their roles. Chief Special Prosecutor Shane Phelps announced publicly that Sergeant Brown was innocent of all charges and called the actions of Lyford, his investigators, and the CPS workers, to paraphrase, a blind desire to make national news and become heroes in the eyes of the world. There were folks who latched onto the craze in the small town, but we don't want to sound like we're coming down on the entire community of Gilmer here. In fact, after Sergeant James York Brown's indictment, plenty of folks in the community protested loudly. As in so many other cases across the United States at the time and in the previous decade or so, lives surrounding this case were completely ruined as the result of chasing the non-existent boogeyman that was Satanic Panic. Lyford's sadistic dog-and-pony show badly hindered several cases of actual child abuse in Gilmer and likely beyond. The case against the Kerr family, who authorities said were almost certainly guilty of countless acts of child molestation and abuse, fell apart and they went free. Don Holman and Tammy Smith, who did absolutely nothing had their two children caught up in the system for two years before they could get them back. It took Don 20 years to clear his name off all official records associated with the case. The boy whose skull foster parent James LaPay crushed on a hardwood floor shortly before he and his wife Marie took their own lives lived, but he couldn't walk, talk, or feed himself. The boy panicked hysterically thereafter at the sound of a man's voice and had to wear protective gloves because he obsessively clawed at himself. Foster parents James and Marie LePay, it was later found out, abused the children by making them perform exhaustive exercises and physically causing pain in ways that bore no marks in order to make them tell their outrageous stories of killing babies and dismembering their bodies. Sergeant James York Brown was reinstated as a police officer, but never returned to the job. He'd completely lost faith in the justice system, Brown said. The scorned policeman brought a civil suit against Scott Lyford, his investigators Stephen Baggs and Brooks Fleeg, and CPS workers Ann Gore and Debbie Minshew. Brown, still thought of as a killer cop by some in Gilmer, suffered a stroke shortly after and became mostly housebound. Kelly's divorced parents, Father Robbie Wilson and Mother Kathy Carlson, grew even further apart as Robbie scoffed at the ludicrous cult charges and Kathy continued to believe those charges, even against Brown. Contrary to the evidence, Many in Gilmer continued to believe in the Kerr satanic cult and Sergeant Brown's involvement with it and the disappearance of Kelly Day Wilson. The guy who put a halt to Lyford's corrupt investigation, Attorney General Special Chief Prosecutor Scott Phelps, said that it likely destroyed any chance of solving Kelly's case. 
That unfortunate assessment, however, had nothing to do with the lack of effort on the part of Gilmer Police and Sergeant James York Brown. Sergeant Brown had some leads that might have gone somewhere if Scott Lyford hadn't tried to tie Kelly's case to his witch hunt and implicate the policeman in Kelly's disappearance. There were suspects, and there were stolen police files. That's next time on Gone Cold, and part three of When the Devil Came to Gilmer, The Disappearance of Kelly Day Wilson, will release a little sooner than usual. If you have any information about the disappearance of Kelly Day Wilson, please call the Gilmer, Texas Police at 903-843-5545. The podcast Texarkana, that's Tex, A-R-C-A-N-A, two words, has a four-part series about satanic panic called And He Doth Appear. It's incredibly well done and immaculately researched. We can't recommend all episodes of Texarkana enough, but those might be particularly interesting to those of y'all who are as fascinated and maddened by the satanic panic era as us. Check those guys out wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, check out our episodes on Sally McNally and Shane Stewart. Erica and I will be in Austin June 4th through 6th, representing Gone Cold at this year's CrimeCon. We'd love to meet y'all, so if you plan on attending, please be sure to stop by our table on Podcast Row and say hi, and grab a few giveaways. If you're planning on buying a ticket, you can use the promo code COLD for 10% off the admission price. Hope to see y'all there. You can support Gone Cold at patreon.com forward slash Podcast. Donors at all levels there get the show ad-free, and for just two and a half bucks, you'll have access to episodes featuring stories of mostly solved Texas crimes and the bad actors who perpetrated them, such as the Desert Killer and the Odessa Lust murders, among others. Thanks so much to everyone who supports us there. We could not do this without you, and we appreciate it beyond words. If you'd like to help find answers for the families of unsolved crime victims from all over, or help identify a Jane or John Doe, please visit dnasolves.com where you can submit your DNA data from a consumer testing company like Ancestry or 23andMe to their database. We'll provide a link in the show notes. The Gilmer Mirror, The Dallas Morning News, KETK.com, The Chicago Tribune, the Tyler Courier Times, the Longview News Journal, and Medium.com were used as sources for this episode. Thanks for listening, y'all.